Welcome to Chironicast, a podcast about rhetoric, current events, and how big ideas play out in our daily lives. I'm your host, Elizabeth Thorpe. Our goal at Chironicast is to look at how rhetoric functions in the real world. Today on Chironicast, we have an exciting change. We have a guest. We want to welcome John Paul Hayworth, who is the executive director at the D.C. State Board of Education. John Paul is also a member of the Gay Men's Chorus of Washington, D.C., and that's what we're going to be talking about today. So, welcome, John Paul. Thank you for joining us. Um, Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you. All right, so first, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, um, so I am originally from the Midwest. I grew up in Kansas and uh, went to college with you in, uh, in Texas and then went to grad school in Connecticut, um, always thinking that I would go into foreign service and work for the State Department, and uh, that never happened. Um, and so I ended up in D.C. because I knew I wanted to work for government and kind of honestly fell into jobs um, mostly through connections that I made and um, worked for uh, folks at, on Capitol Hill, and I worked as a lobbyist for a little while, and then uh, I worked for the mayor of D.C., for two, two mayors, actually, of D.C., and then um, joined the state board in July 2015, and I've been there ever since. Awesome. Okay. What is the Gay Men's Chorus of Washington, D.C.? Um, that is a fantastic question. So um, the Gay Men's Chorus of Washington is an organization of, um, I think it's actually nearly 500 people now. Um, and it's, uh, we're actually celebrating our 40th anniversary this year. It's one of the oldest gay courses in, um, in the world. Um, and it is an organization that was designed originally for, uh, gay men to come together and have community, um, in the eighties, um, and to provide, um, uh, through song, um, some social justice. Um, so, Remember, back in the 80s, it was still very much uh, controversial to be an openly gay person. And so the chorus offered um, support for, for individuals who felt um, like they wanted to do that and wanted to stand up and say, um, I am an openly gay man and, you know, I'm not a predator. I'm not anything um, to be scared of. I, I'm here to pro- provide music. Um, and... The, like I said earlier, the chorus is celebrating its 40th anniversary this year, and we're working really hard to really think about um, how we present ourselves as a social justice organization. Um, and it's something that has been uh, top of our mind for, for quite a while. Um, we had a lot of experiences through the um, HIV and AIDS crisis of the 80s and 90s where um, we lost members um, right and left. And and literally most of the time we were singing at funerals uh, for our members. And back at that point, we also started a tradition where we would sing every Christmas Eve. Um, we would do uh, carol singing at the National Institutes of Health's um, clinical research department um, for patients and uh, doctors who weren't able to go home uh, because they were too ill. And we, we began that process because at the time, NIH was the only organization actually doing any research whatsoever on HIV. Um, and so we were able, we were one of the first groups to, to sing um, at the hospital. And like I said, so we've been doing that for, I think, 39 years, um, singing every Christmas Eve. Wow. How long have you been a member? 
I joined in 2005, um, about two years after I moved to Washington, D.C. Um, I've actually been a singer since I was about three. Um, and the time after, uh, during grad school and two years after grad school were the only times in my life that I didn't sing in some sort of group. And I realized that I was missing it very much. And the chorus was a really great way for me to meet um, other gay men in D.C. because I was fairly new to the area. I didn't really have a uh, and because of where I grew up and where I went to college, I didn't really have a strong um, gay friend group. And so the chorus was a way for me as a pretty introverted person to meet people. So you've touched on this already, but expand on what kind of role does the chorus play in the community in the D.C. area? I think it's a really good question. So the chorus itself is um, is one of the oldest um vocal performance groups in DC and we're known for um, presenting very high quality um, shows, including uh, we have our own dance troupe. We have a, uh, a number of small ensembles. We have a, a youth chorus as well. Um, and we do um, five or six major shows um, a year, you know, pre pandemic times. Um, and then our small groups and other groups do what we call outreach activities um, very regularly. Um, that can be, um, you know, for um, other groups, for their fundraisers, for um, retirement parties, for, you know, sort of entertainment um, around the city. Um, but we're also known as a, as a partner and a strong social justice uh, work. A lot of what we sing is about um, being the, the being true to yourself. Um, we have done shows centered on the transgender experience. We've done shows centered on um, drug use and drug abuse, um, especially around the meth crisis um, uh, in, in uh, the gay men, uh, gay men's population. Um, we also, even though our title is the gay men's course, um, we, we are not uh, restrictive in, in membership. Um, we have members who are um, cisgendered, who are um, straight. We have women. We have trans men. We have trans women. Um, our director is a is a cisgendered woman, um, and has been for. Let's see, I think she's been our director for six years and was our um, assistant director for about ten years before that. Um, we have lots of folks on the board um, who are not singers, um, and we're really striving to be an open organization that provides uh, not only its members with support and understanding, uh, but also uh, provides the community that type of activity as well. Amazing. So what does involvement in the chorus mean to you personally? So the chorus itself is, is an organization that is very, very near to my heart. And um, you know, since I, like I said, I've been in since 2005, so I've been in for quite a while. And during that time, um, just the perception in the culture of America of what a gay person is has changed remarkably. Um, but the course itself has always served as a really core um, organization for me um, to feel loved and to feel um, accepted. Um, I was actually not out officially to my parents when I joined the chorus. Um, and the chorus is one of the things that helped me get to that space where I felt comfortable enough to talk to my parents about being gay. Um, and we, um, we provide that type of, of, of help to each other. Um, 
There are lots of little um, groups within the chorus that are designed to really help each other. We have a group called the Care Corps um, that provides um, rides to doctor's offices or meals if someone is sick or if someone loses a family member or a partner or anything like that. We're, we we really do consider ourselves um, to be family, um, and that's based in the in the his, in in the history of the chorus in which, you know, a lot of the founding members um, were disowned from their families. And so they needed some sort of um, family dynamic and the chorus was there to provide that. Wow. Okay. Tell us about Joe Biden's relationship with the chorus while he was VP. Oh, so Vice President Biden um, has always been a uh, enjoyer of the chorus's music. Um, his, um, social secretary when he was vice president, um, had come to one of our shows and decided that we were the perfect group to come and sing, um, carols and, and holiday music during the vice president's holiday reception. Um, and so the, one of our small groups, um, Potomac Fever, uh, did that for, I think almost every year. I think they did it every year of the Obama presidency, except for maybe two years. Um, and what that means is they sang, you know, as people came into the reception, they sang during, you know, when, when, um, just a sort of background music. Um, but the Bidens themselves were so incredibly gracious to, um, to the group. Um, you know, I said earlier that the course does these types of outreach events regularly and sometimes people just, um, you know, want to write a donation check to the chorus and have us sing and then leave and not, you know, not really interact with guests, not really interact with anybody. Um, but the Bidens were always very much, um, you know, welcoming of the members, uh, welcoming in, in the front door before the show started, you know, talking with them, taking pictures and all those types of things. And it, it's, it's always been a very warm um, relationship and feeling between um, the chorus and and Mr. Biden uh, to the to the um, to the level that at, at one point um, during one of the the gigs, um, some of our members noticed that um, uh, Dr. Biden um, was wearing a the same dress as she had the year before for the holiday party, and uh, felt comfortable enough to mention it to her. So I don't know that she ever wore that dress again, but. Um, it was definitely one of the things that would be um, appropriate, I suppose, for a for a gayman's course to be expected to to notice and remember what dress the the second lady wore to an event. And how important was that for you? It's really important. I mean, like I said, you know, when I joined the course in two thousand five, it, it it was still a different environment than than for gay people um, and for the LGBT. Um, Q population in general. Um, and once we got to the Obama administration, um, we were actually invited to sing at the Obama, um, we, the people concert to the day before his, um, swearing in ceremony. And we sang, um, you know, beautiful, um, uh, version of my country tis of thee with, um, Heather Headley and Josh Groban. And when HBO released the video, um, we were the only chorus that was not named, uh, in the video. Um, and that was really hard. Um, you know, we had experienced that before. Uh, we, we have sung a number of times at the Kennedy center honors and, um, not, 
we were, we've been sometimes not named, um, even though like they sought us out because they know we are good singers and they wanted to provide a good show, but it wasn't enough, um, you know, to actually name who we were. And for a vice president to then invite us into the, uh, into the vice president's residence multiple times, you know, year after year and enjoy the performance enough to do it again the next year, um, is important. Um, and I think that's the same thing for when, uh, you know, when President Biden during his address to the nation, um, recently specifically called out to, uh, transgender Americans that he had their back. That is vitally important, um, for them to be recognized as human beings. Um, and I think that's a lot, I think it's really hard for, um, for cisgendered and straight people to understand how how much work and how much effort it takes to realize who you are and have it recognized by other people. It means a lot. What did all of this mean for the visibility of the chorus? Um, so I think it's I think it's meant a lot. I mean, I, you know, we. Um, we have a, a cadre of, of very loyal fans and through the pandemic, um, we have continued to put on concerts virtually. Um, and we've been kind of blessed in a way that we've been able to expand our reach actually, um, because of the virtual format. So more people have been able to see our shows or hear about us. Um, I like to think of us as sort of the, the nation's, uh, gay chorus, um, and, some other of the major gay uh, courses will probably object to that, but um, but we have the nation's everything here in DC, so why not just take that label as well? Um, but it does; it makes a difference for um, for the group and for us as individuals to be uh, to be recognized as um, worthy is the wrong word, but to be recognized as um, expressing our truth. Did Mr. Biden's support affect the chorus's position in the community in any way? You know, I'm not sure. Um, I think, um, I think it probably helped in terms of, of being, uh, being visible in spaces that normally would not have, have, you, you would not have expected to see an openly gay chorus be there. Um, and that's one of the things that we have been striving for, um, especially, you know, within the last 10 years or so is to not go into spaces where we are not welcome, um, to be who we are, um, to not be open, to not be, um, to, you know, sort of just be the chorus in the back of the room. We insist now on being recognized as, uh, as the gay men's chorus, wherever we are. And I think that's important. Um, the chorus has also undertaken a number of, um, tours in the United States in the past few years. Um, we did a Southern equality tour and we've done a Northern equality tour and we're planning, uh, additional ones. And, and part of that is to, is to recognize that in DC, because of, of, of the way that the city is, is a pretty liberal place. Um, we can feel a little bit like we're in a little bit of a bubble of safety here. Um, that's not to say that there is not um, violence against LGBTQ people here, because there there absolutely is. Um, but there are other places in the country that are not as welcoming um, as as we have here in DC, and so we've made a concerted effort to to go to those places and to sing there um, and to sing 
loudly and, and proudly about who we are and not to shy away from being, um, to being that person. Um, our director has a, has a wonderful way of, um, expressing it that she, she reminds us of every concert, um, that every concert that we do, whether it's on this, you know, street in front of the Supreme court or in on the sidewalk in a rural town in Kentucky, um, that someone there needs to hear us. Um, someone there, um, who is hearing us needs to understand our message. And it might be someone, um, that didn't really understand beforehand. And so we're, we're trying to make that as active as possible and to go to these spaces and, and show that there is a different way of, of, uh, of life. Um, you know, if you are scared to come out, if you are, um, um, not understanding that, that, um, that this is not a choice, you know, that this is, this is who we are and we have struggled mightily to get to, uh, personally and as a, as a, as a, as a group to, to be open and to be who we are and to live our truth. Um, that definitely affects the way that the community uh, re responds to us. Um, we have a historical society in the chorus um, that has done a really, really remarkable job of going back into records and finding all of the information, um, especially from the from the early days of the chorus in the early eighties. Um, and it was it was a huge struggle to find a place that would accept uh, the chorus to do their first show. Um, we were rejected from lots and lots of places, um, including um, George Washington University, which is a private university here in the district. Um, they, they have a concert hall that we requested to, to pay for and use. And they said no, because they, they, they didn't want to have a gay course or form there. Um, and, you know, decades later, you know, four decades later, they're actually now um, our repository for all of our historical records uh, for the organization is at the university because they, uh, we worked, we ended up continuing to go back to them and work with them so that they finally understood and, and, and welcomed us. Um, for many years, that was our concert home until frankly, we just outgrew the space. It wasn't for any other reason. Wow. Finally, what do you think Biden's support of the chorus says about his relationship with the LGBTQ plus community? Um, I think President Biden has always been a, a pretty strong supporter of LGBTQ rights. Um, you know, even when he was a senator, he was one of the early people who um, fought for uh, equality and protection. Um, and frankly, I don't know why. I'm not exactly sure what, you know, what brought him to that, um, to that stance. I'm certainly very glad for it. Um, but, you know, political positions for, for, um, for even, you know, supposed um, very liberal folks in the Democratic Party have certainly evolved a lot over the last 20 years in terms of LGBTQ uh, equality. Um, you know, President Obama was not a supporter of gay marriage until he became president. Senator Clinton was not a supporter until, you know, later. Um, and, you know, the bastions of our party have not necessarily supported this. And I think some of it is, is due to culture uh, and understanding and seeing examples of uh, gay men and gay women and trans men and trans women and all of the different um, individuals on the spectrum that are people, right? Seeing them as people rather than seeing them as the other. Um, you know, it's, it is very unlikely at this point in time that, that 
there can be a person who does not have some sort of um, direct connection, frankly, with someone that is LGBTQ, whether they know it or not. And I think that's one of the things that we have to establish. And I think um, Mr. Biden has done a pretty decent job of this in terms of not making it a um, just a political statement, but putting action behind it. Um, you know, nominating individuals to um, Senate confirmable positions um, like he's done, um, you know, gay men and, and trans women um, in ways that hopefully we don't have to have too many firsts left, right? Like there should be a time where this is just a normal thing and this is just a person. It isn't like a big deal because the first you know, trans woman has been nominated or the first gay man to, to, you know, to do, to be a cabinet secretary or something. I mean, it's, it's almost frustrating that we're in, in 2021 and we're still having so many of these firsts, right? Like having a, the first uh, female person of color in the vice presidency, you know, as, as president Biden said during his address, like he shouldn't have been the first president to have to, to get to say, you know, madam vice president, madam speaker. Um, and so I'm hopeful for the time that, that his support can continue for, uh, to make that reality for all of us. John Paul, it has been such a pleasure discussing all of this with you. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to talk to us about what is such an important organization and what has been such an important part of the DC community for so many years. If there was anything else you wanted us to know, or if there's something you'd like to add, we'd like to give you the opportunity to add the last few comments now. Um, yeah, actually I did, I did think of something. Um, one of the things that, that has been, um, really helpful for the chorus lately is, um, we have some really great, fantastic active members who are pushing us to do more and to do better. Um, and that's what I would kind of encourage your listeners to do as well. Um, you know, there's always more to learn. There's always more to do, um, to make this uh, a more equitable, uh, world, whether that's in your own community or, or on a larger scale. Um, there's always more that you can do. And so don't let that be a, um, an impediment to what you, what you're doing. Um, but let it be something that inspires you. Um, what can you do better? What can you do more for, for someone else? All right. Thank you so much. We appreciate your time and we hope to hear from you again soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. That was John Paul Hayworth, and this is the first episode in a two-episode series about Joe Biden and LGBTQ plus issues. We will have the second episode next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of Chiroticast. We really hope you'll join us again. If you have feedback, we'd love to hear it. If you have questions, we'll try to answer them. If you have issues you'd like us to address, send them our way and we'll do our best to get to that. Make sure to subscribe or leave a review. Email us at elizabeth at chiroticast.com. That's K-A-I-R-O-T-I-C-A-S-T. And we look forward to seeing you next week.